said a little bit earlier that I have a strong leading in my heart about the Sunday nights of this summer. We're going to take the seven churches written about in Revelation and allow the Holy Spirit to stir us and help us to move forward through what we learn by looking into their story. Because I think as we read throughout those churches, their story in some ways is our story. And as the Lord dealt with them, the Lord will deal with us and position us for the future that he has for us. Sunday mornings in in the summer, I, I have just the strongest fire burning in my heart about the theme of grace. Where would any of us be without the grace of God? I want to take that word grace and look at it throughout the scripture and allow the different stories and passages to just rest with such strength in our heart that by the end of the summer, I pray that there's a measurable change in our own thinking, in our own heart, that you would see a a vitality in your own spirit that you know is coming by, by capturing all over again what God meant when he gave us his son and Jesus provided grace. That you would see a measurable difference in us as a church. That as our love for God grows, there would be a worship passion and an outreach to those around us. Until loving God and loving people is at a new level. The influence of grace to reach every young person, every adult. All of us recipients of grace. All of us candidates for fresh impact to be gripped by grace. In the amplified version, you'll see these words on the screen. You can read along in your Bible. I normally read from the New Living Translation. But today I want to read this from the amplified and allow it to set the course for the summer. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Notice it on the screen with me. And you, he made alive. When you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, And the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath, heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. Now notice the transition here. But God, so rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he, I love this, made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself 
The same new life with which he quickened him, for it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved. Meaning, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Can you say amen? Verse 6. And he raised us up together with him. He made us sit together, giving us joint seating with him. Giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, meaning delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. And finally, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, That we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. (laughs) Are those ten loaded verses? We can take the summer and camp out in those verses and just unpack all the blessings of God. Let's go on a journey together. Read these verses, study them, read them in the different versions and Let them become a part of who you are, the very grace of God. Let it have the deepest influence. We all understand the blessing of this grace. As I read the New Testament and the Old, writers over and over again remind us of the grace of God. Over 600 times it is written about in the Bible. Even when God is talked about, they write about him and call him the God of all grace. Christianity is painted on the canvas of grace. Every doctrine weaves together by the power and doctrine of grace. We are who we are. All of our hope for a forgiven past and a purpose-filled future rests in the grace of God. We have just read and learned that grace is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor of God. All that we are, all that we have, all that we will ever be is on the merits of another. Jesus Christ took our place. He bore our sin. He took upon himself the iniquity of us all. He became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That is grace. 
Hallelujah. He lavished out his love on you and me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, that you and I could praise him in a recreated heart, in a renewed life. People that are brought into the family of God, accepted in the beloved, all because of grace. May grace always be amazing. If you've been saved today, or if you've been saved 50 years, may grace overwhelm your heart until you worship God out of the very joy of your salvation. Now come with me to a story. This story you can read about it in 2 Samuel 4 and 2 Samuel 9. Here is the story. King Saul is leading his dynasty... He has a son by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan has a son by the name of Mephibosheth. As Saul's dynasty starts to weaken, his city is invaded. This attack was an aggressive attack of the enemy to where Saul and Jonathan will end up dead. One of the nannies grabs up little five-year-old Mephibosheth and runs for her life. As she is running away... She falls. She drops Mephibosheth and he is injured in that fall until he is crippled. That's 2 Samuel 4. When you get over to 2 Samuel 9, now David is the king. He is seated on his throne and he is reflecting upon the past. David and Jonathan were the closest of friends. Matter of fact... The scripture even records how they, they cut covenant between themselves. In other words, th- there was a scar on Jonathan's wrist and on David's wrist where they had cut a covenant by blood between each other. They were loyal, loyal friends. Out of David's love for Jonathan, who was now de- dead, David calls his team together and says, Is there anyone still living of the household of Saul that I might show kindness to? On behalf of Jonathan. There's one man in, in David's leadership team who steps forward and says, Well, there is, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he is out in Lodabar. David says, Well, then I want you to go get him. Lodabar is defined as a barren place. It is an unproductive place. It is a bad place. I want you to understand where they find this man, Mephibosheth. I want you to see a picture of sin. Mephibosheth is in Lodabar, a place and a position and condition that he cannot change. Unless someone goes to him and brings him out of that place... He's stuck where he is. Without the power to change himself, without the power to change his circumstance, he's there stuck in Lodabar. He's not there because of what he's done. He is there because of what someone else did. His his position is because King Saul fell from grace and it affected the entire family. His condition is not his own fault. He was dropped by someone else. Now, the the lights on the dashboard should be going off at this moment because we all know that we are born sinners. 
And we are born sinners because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And when they fell, they dropped all of us. And so when we are born, our position and our condition is because through the one man, Adam, sin entered the world. We find ourselves in a place and in a condition that we have no power to change. Now, when you get a picture of Mephibosheth in Lodabar, it doesn't mean that he didn't have some activity. People who are in sin aren't people doing nothing. Their lives can be very active. However, if you have any kind of conversation with them after salvation, they will tell you in all of their activity, there was still a loneliness, a barrenness, emptiness, a meaninglessness existence. They may have had the trappings of success, but there was still this void in their soul. They were searching. They realized they're in a situation that they had no power to change. I want you to see that Mephibosheth is in a place, unless someone goes and gets him, he will never be brought back into the king's family. He's not leaving. He can't help himself. You see, when I'm in sin, I'm in a place, position, condition, that unless someone comes to me, I'm hopeless. I can't change myself. I can't forgive my sin. I can't release my heart from the guilt of the past. I can't create a hope in my heart about the future. Someone has to come. Someone has to do something. So if sin is being in a position and a condition that we cannot change, if sin is being in a place where though I'm active, I'm not productive, if sin is being in a place where though it's populated, I'm still lonely, if sin is being in a place where I'm broken and unable to, to get anywhere. I'm like a nobody going nowhere. If that's what sin is, in all of its darkness, now I want you to see grace. Grace is the day that the king says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Grace is finding out that we are deep in our condition and our position. And the king, God himself, sent his only son. And Jesus came from heaven to earth and gave his life a ransom for many. Grace is the Lord coming to us. Grace is the Lord picking us up. I'm stuck. We are stuck. But Jesus came to us as sin entered through the one man grace enters through the one man the second Adam his name is Jesus grace is something happening for me that I could not do for myself grace is the undeserved unearned unmerited favor of God grace now let's continue with the story as as Mephibosheth is brought to the king's house. Here's what David says to him. He says, I am going to restore your land. I'm going to have people work the land for you. You are going to live in my house and you are going to eat at my table. Can you imagine Mephibosheth? He's been in a barren place, stuck, 
hopeless and helpless. And someone comes to him, brings him from where he was to the king's house. And the king says, I'm restoring all of your land. Other people will work the land for you. You will sit at my table. You will be in my presence every day. You will live in my house. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Do any of us deserve salvation? Do any of us deserve all of these blessings of God? It's overwhelming. He lavished it out on us. I want you to see today that grace is not only overwhelming, it's ongoing. It's very important for you to know. Mephibosheth looks at King David and and he literally said to him, I I feel like a dog. Why, Why are you doing this for me? He felt so low. He felt so unacceptable, so unworthy. You know, accepting what we don't deserve is hard. Some people after salvation want to beat themselves up for the way they live before salvation. It's hard for them to think that God would would love them. Maybe they can accept that he wants to forgive them so they don't go to hell. But to, to lavish out on that person blessings, purpose, health and strength and ideas, creativity, talent, resources, it it just overwhelms them. And it's hard to accept what they feel they don't deserve. And like Mephibosheth, I just, I'm so unworthy. I want to tell you, God loves you. When a a little boy or girl, you've had it happen in your home, if your parents, they come in and say, "I, I, I colored a picture. And you see the picture, it had an outline and When they're first learning to color, they just color all over the page. They color all outside of the lines. And when they bring it to mom, mom says, look at this. This is incredible. This is a masterpiece. It's going on the refrigerator. Dad comes in and says, no, it's going in the Smithsonian. Everybody needs to see that from all around the world. That is a masterpiece. It's like... But he colored outside the lines. It's it's just not accurate. It's not effective. But they're coloring, and it's not about how they did it. It's they're your child. We get saved, and at times we, we color outside of the lines. I'm gonna say this to you until you embrace it. We're gonna say it and sing it until you embrace it. God loves you for you. Yes, we color outside of the lines, but he loves you. He is for you. He is on your side. He's not mad at you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not angry with you. God loves you. You are accepted. I want to tell you why you're saved. Because he wanted you saved. He loves you. Oh, get that into your spirit. That's why we sing, I know who I am. I am yours and you are mine. If you know who you are, some of you are working so hard on coloring inside of the lines. If you will work more on who you are, you'll find yourself able to live up to your identity. If we will tell these young people who they are because the devil constantly tells them who they're not. If we will tell them who they are, You don't have to constantly stand in front of them with a list of do's and don'ts. 
When you're overwhelmed that the king loves you and he's putting your picture in the Smithsonian, you're not perfect, but he's not after you because of how you live. He's after you for you. You're his son. You're his daughter. I want to tell you, it'll check you with spiritual conviction in how you think, in how you act, in how you respond. If you can know who you are this morning, you are his and he is yours until you can say better than the riches of this world, better than the sound of my friends' voices, better than the biggest dream of my heart. That's who you are. My God, your dream will explode. Your holiness will go off the map because holiness should come not out of a legalistic list of religious duty. It should arrive out of the fact that our hearts are overwhelmed with the grace of God. Hallelujah. Let's now work the table. The table. King David said to Mephibosheth every day, you will come and sit with me at the table. Now, he wasn't the only one in the house. Do you realize that coming to the table every morning, you would have Tamar? The Bible says she was beautiful. You would have Absalom, this man who was such a natural leader that he in some seasons of his life was an incredible success because of his, his just natural God-given leadership. And then sitting here was Solomon, the writer of the Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived. And then clump, clump, clump comes Mephibosheth. And he sits at this table, Solomon and Tamar, and Absalom, success, beauty, and someone who's smart. Makes you feel like a mule at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Here is shuffling, struggling Mephibosheth, and the king, King David. You, you, you don't see it in the, the story, but you have to wonder, did they ever, at the table, they, they see him finally get his seat. You know, they, they can get there on time. and It's a little more difficult for Mephibosheth. It takes a little more time, but he gets there. Did they ever look over at him and say, why are you here? And I wonder if Mephibosheth didn't answer and say, I don't have all of this figured out. I was in Lodabar. And the king sent for me. Someone came and picked me up. Someone brought me here. And I don't have it all figured out. I just know every time when the king sits down and he, he lifts his hands to bless us, I see a scar. And it's the same scar that my dad had. When our city was attacked, Solomon, I was five. Tamar, I was just five, but I remember dad. And he had this scar that looks just like the king's. And I'm not here because of who I am. I'm here because a covenant 
was cut. I don't have it all reasoned, but because blood was shed, I can sit here with you. Only reason I'm here is not because of me, it's because of him. It's not who I am, it's whose I am. Do you know who you are today, church? Hear this to the assembly. I say, when you walk in here, because we have lived in Lodabar, it shapes the way we think even after salvation. And we'll come in here and say, I don't know that I can come to this church because all these people are beautiful, smart, and successful. And I come in, clump, clump. I just, I don't feel I fit in. When you forget, we're all crippled. We're all born in sin. You can't measure me by what you see on the outside. I was broken, messed up, all alone in a position and a condition that I could not change. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, came to where I was, lifted me, and now I'm seated at the king's table. Hallelujah. And it's... I've been to Bible college, and I like theology, I like the scripture, and I don't have it all figured out. I just know I'm here because the shedding of blood... And every time I come to this house, I just sense in my heart a nail-scarred hand. And I'm reminded it's not who I am, it's whose I am. And I am as accepted in the beloved as Billy Graham. You are as accepted in the beloved as Billy Graham. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. I know who I am. I'm his. I'm his. So just... Come in. But pastor, this week I colored outside the lines. We love you. God loves you. But I don't have it all together like all these other people. They don't have it all together either. None of us do. See, this, this, this let's, let's come back here. This is Lodabar. Don't forget that once we're saved, we're brought out. Sanctified, brought out. Instantly, I mean, I am no longer in Lodabar. But sanctification is progressive. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not everything I'm going to be. Be patient with me. God's working with me. God's working on me. I'm not all that I need to be, but I'm not... I'm not what I was. Another application. I want to show you something. Come on up here, Absalom. (laughs) Solomon. I'm not going to call you Tamar. You might hurt me. You know the king's table was covered. Now watch this. Solomon and Absalom and Tamar looking successful, smart, and beautiful and clump. 
clump, clump. But when Mephibosheth gets to his seat, from here up, we all look the same. Because the blood covers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, the ground at the cross is level. Red, yellow, black, or white. Rich or poor. Advantaged or disadvantaged. The ground at the cross is level. Hallelujah. Smart, successful, beautiful, struggling, doesn't matter. Covered by the blood. In the family of God. Brought near by the blood. Accepted in the beloved The king loves me as much as he loves Solomon. The king loves me as much as he loves Absalom. He loves you as much as he loves any son or daughter. And he invites you to the table. Hallelujah. This could just explode weeks on end. Let me just say that that the king said, look, look, Mephibosheth, you get to my table every day. Because when we're in the presence of the king every day and partaking from the table prepared for us, something happens. You, you understand the context of physical therapy. Physical therapy is where I regain strength, retrain muscles, and gain a mobility that I didn't have. So now it's 30 days later, and it's time to come to the table. And here comes Mephibosheth. But because he's been pulling up to the table every day in the king's presence, every day, because of the value that is adding, he's gaining some strength. And now he's coming to the table a little quicker because he's gaining some mobility that he didn't have. It's called discipleship, spiritual growth. But it's all about grace. I come to the table, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. And I wake up every day better than the riches of this world is the grace of God. Better than anything is the grace of God. And as I come into the king's presence every day, as I partake from the table of the Lord every day through the word of God, I'm gaining a strength. I'm gaining a freedom, a liberty. You see, Paul says, I've been delivered, brought out. I'm being delivered. Ongoing sanctification. And one day, the trumpet sounds and I shall be delivered forever in the presence of God. Don't quit growing. This summer is not going to be a summer slump. It's going to be a summer jump as we concentrate on the power of operative grace. 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 You go out on that parking lot today and you see all of those souped up zoomalooms out there. That's what my papa used to call them. You come and see these, and you guys look good, you look sharp, and it's quite possible that come, someone comes in here crippled in their character, and they look around and go, man, these people, 
They've got it all together. Look at them. And behind this veneer are people all being sanctified. Far from perfect. You can't judge a book by its cover. You have to get to know me. You see, when you're in Lodabar, it will shape your thinking and you will fight your own perspective. See, when you come in here struggling, you think, man, these people have it all together and they see my condition. When in reality, we know how much we all struggle. We really aren't thinking about you at all. We're just trying to make it ourselves. And if we have any thought, it's this, we're really glad you're here. But I'm, I'm so trying to get to the table myself. You say, Pastor Ron, do you have struggles? Oh, just ask Kelly. <laughs> yes. But I don't come in here seeing you for what you're not or seeing you for how you've colored outside the lines. I come in here seeing that you colored this week. You're here. You don't have to be here, but you're here. Let the love of God find you today. Somebody needs to come to the seat at the king's table. He has seated us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, a seat of triumph where we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. It's unbelievable who he has made us. There's no other word for it but grace in our mind, but I didn't work for it. I'm trying to put this together. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That's right. Unmerited. Just the favor of God. And if that doesn't move you to surrender, nothing can.